season's going to end on a double doink. Doink. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know. That's idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea and then... Uh, Prognosis. I take the serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about anything. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I don't know. That's the idea. That's the result you're going to get. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. laugh the doctor laugh. is now in. Glad to have you with us on this terrible Tuesday. If you're a Boston Celtic fan, or had a Boston Celtic taken last night, my condolences. We're not here to rub it in. We're not here to, I told you so, not going to get that. But, that's why it could be a terrible Tuesday for you. That, and of course, we've got plenty of terrible Tuesday takes, as we usually do on Tuesdays. Glad to have you with us here, streaming live, of course. TCMartinShow.com, wherever you may be. Today, another jam-packed guest list coming your way. Thurl Bailey is going to join us. Big T, the former NC State Wolfpack national champion back in 1983. And, of course, a 13-year NBA career with the Utah Jazz for a majority of that time. And, of course, he has spent a majority of his broadcast career as the television analyst for the Utah Jazz as well, too. He will join us today. Don Logan will join us, the president of the Las Vegas Aviators. Always fun when Don joins us. And that's going to kind of tie into our terrible Tuesday takes uh, as well, too. And for those of you that have been following some of the minor league baseball changes, you know where I'm going with that. Definitely terrible Tuesday. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And my man. The former three-time world champ, Tony the Tiger Lopez, is in town. He's in the house. He's going to stop by. That is if he can, you know, find his way here. Tiger's not really good with directions. You know, Tiger doesn't have a compass. So you never know what you're going to get. I mean, we could be getting a call here in about 15 minutes saying, hey, I made a wrong term. I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico. You never know. Because, you know, he did take quite a few blows to the head. No, so that's my guy, Tony the Tiger Lopez, former three-time world champ, pride of Sacramento, Sacramento Sports Hall of Famer, and, of course, uh, uh, fought many times uh, in the great state of Nevada, including Las Vegas. Always fun when he's in town. Uh, again, I call him my former, can't say protege, but uh, I did manage Tony back in the day. And uh, uh, one of my best friends, great guy, so he will be in the house here today. And uh, who knows what we'll talk about. You just you never know which direction is going to go. Like I said, the guy got hit in the head too many times in his career, <laughs> but Numchuck loves it. Last time we had Tiger on, I believe it was when he was starring in that beautiful Joe Sands movie, Under the Palm Tree. <laughs> That's right. When we uh, did the, we were on location there at the theaters. Stitch Duran joined us, and, and I always love to have Stitch and Tony on at the same time, but Stitch couldn't make it today because, uh, yeah, Stitch's first fight that he was ever a uh, world championship fight, I say. Stitch's very first world championship fight, he was the cut man for Tony the Tiger Lopez. So great stuff there. All right, so, yeah, we have a lot to hit on today, but the NBA Finals, we'll dive into that. Game five last night, the Golden State Warriors get the job done, 104-94. The Warriors now lead the series three games to two with a closeout situation. Thursday night, game six, 
in Boston. All right, so we will dive into that today as well, too. So we'll recap game number five with Thurl Bailey and uh, and talk about a look ahead to game six. But the Warriors, fantastic again last night. The first team to win two games in a row in this series. The Warriors did it. That's what they say, right? Got to, you know, first team to win two in a row, boom, usually wins it. And of course, you have the numbers going in your favor. The, you know, the team that wins game five wins what eighty three percent of the time wins a wins a championship. Warriors looking good, but as we know, it can be done. Series not over yet, but the Warriors have a three games to two lead as of now. All right, as we say though, terrible Tuesday. It's terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. All right. Deshaun Watson spoke to the media today for, well, I don't want to say the first time because he did speak to the media back in March, and really didn't give much. It was very evasive, didn't really have too much to say, didn't want to be there, didn't know what to say, embarrassment on his face. Today, he had a little bit different demeanor. I don't know if he was coached up a little bit more or what the dealio was, but he was speaking today at Brown's training camp because they're having their their um, mandatory mini camp that's taking place right now, which Baker Mayfield has been excused from, so he's nowhere to be found. So, of course, Deshaun Watson walk around like big man on campus, I guess as he should in the sense that the Cleveland Browns have given him a huge contract here. But Deshaun Watson spoke to the media first time. We'll get to his audio here in a minute. But just to reset the story, remember the New York Times reported last week that Watson booked massage appointments with at least 66 different women over a 17-month span. Now, this is nothing new. We knew about this. Um, again, no criminal charges were filed against Watson. But the reason why this was breaking news last week, because the Times actually reported the exact number here. No one really knew how many. There was talk about, well, okay, remember when the story first broke last year? We were talking about, well, how many women? There was a couple women. And we find out, well, it's six women. And it's eight women. And all of a sudden, the calculator went off. It's like a pinball machine went off. Bing, 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 bing. And there we go. Yeah, you, you wish you had a pinball, didn't you? No, I'm joking. I see where you're going with that. I get that. So when the Times article came out last week, 66 different women over a 17-month period from the fall of 2019 to the spring of 2021. Now, also part of the story was that the Houston Texans team security provided a NDA for these women to sign, a non-disclosure agreement, all right, and also provided a hotel room where seven of the women met Deshaun Watson. 24 of the 66 women have filed the lawsuits. Uh, a few of the women spoke publicly. One woman told police that he was persistent in his requests for sex, begging her to put her mouth on his penis. That's right. Came out and said it. Oh, yes. So does Sean Watson. So with all that being said, there's your backdrop. 
for today when a throng of media, not just sports media, gathered at the Cleveland Browns training complex. Here's Deshaun Watson talking about does he feel that he's being a distraction in Brown's training camp? Um, honestly, it's been, you know, it's been tough. Um, you know, just trying to make sure that I, I stay balanced uh, with my, my mental and, and just my social life. But I have a great family. Um, I have a great uh, legal team, and I have a great support cast here in this organization. So when I walk into the building, all that stuff is outside. I got to focus on football and my teammates, building that trust with those guys on the football field and off the field, and just really just coming to work because the game plan is, you know, the season starts and and getting everyone on the same page all right let's start dissecting what Deshaun Watson saying here seemed kind of happy giddy like I said someone's coaching him up like hey you know Baker Mayfield's not around they paid me a whole bunch of money I'm going to focus on football that's what I'm doing here and he did say coming into this press conference he laid the groundwork and said you know I'm going to try to answer the best I can. I know you all want to hear from me, so I'm here today to talk to you, but I might not be able to answer all the questions because it's an ongoing investigation. So, you know, please respect that. Really? Respect that? Should we really respect anything that he's saying? All joyful? And right there he says, well, yeah, I'm here to focus on football. No! You shouldn't be focusing on football. You should be focusing on these 66 women of the 24 that have come forward in the lawsuits. That's what you should be focusing on. That's what you should be doing. Now, the NFL, as we know, they're conducting an investigation. We don't even know if Deshaun Watson is going to even be able to play. So he was asked the question today, has he had meetings with the NFL? Um, yeah, I can't control that. You know, I met with the, the NFL um, a couple weeks ago, and uh, I did everything they asked me to do. I answered every question truthfully uh, that that the NFL asked me. Um, I spent hours with those with those with the people that they brought down, and that's all I can do is just tell them and be honest and, and tell them exactly what happened. And they, I know they have a job, and so I have to respect that. And that's what we want to do is cooperate. And you know, they have to make a decision best for the uh, the lead. You know, so I think he meant to say cooperate sound like he was like cooperate i mean he's, he's got the, the the legal mindset he's trying to collab with somebody there you go yeah like like 66 other women uh now if, it, if it's coming across like i'm you know a little hard on deshaun here it's because he put himself in this situation all right and the media wants some answers and again you knew you're not going to really get too much today you're going to get a lot of fluff a little vanilla I really like this question from one of the reporters. He asked Deshaun Watson, why should a jury believe you over dozens of women? Um, I understand that question, and I definitely respect it. But I feel like with this environment coming off the football field, it's hard to answer that question, uh, without, especially without talking to anybody on my legal team. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've been honest and I've been truthful about my stance. Um, and that's, you know, I never forced anyone. I never assaulted anyone. So um, that's what, you know, I've, I've been saying it from the beginning. And I'm going to continue to do that and, and until all the facts come out on the legal side. I have to continue to just, you know, go with the process with my legal team and, and um, you know, the court of law. What's the under over on legal team here at this press conference with Deshaun Watson. Okay, so let's examine this. Well, that's a hard question to answer. Why should a jury believe you over dozens of women? And he says, that's hard to answer that question. 
How is that hard to answer the question? If you're innocent, it's easy for you to answer that question. And you say, because these women are lying. Okay? Now, again, I'm not saying that. I'm pretending I'm Deshaun Watson here in his mindset. It's not hard to answer. If you firmly believe that you're innocent and you've done nothing, then it's an easy question to answer, right? And you're talking about the legal team. Well, it's kind of a hard... To answer that question without talking to my legal team. That's all you do is talk to your legal team. That's all you should be doing is talking to your legal team. And if you're going to get in front of reporters who are going to press the issues here, you're going to need to be a little bit better prepared. Oh, but then again, if you have a legal team consistent of Rusty, well, what do you expect? I don't know how many men are out there now that have had a massage that perhaps occasionally there was a happy ending, all right? Maybe there's nobody in your listening audience that that ever happened to. I do want to point out, if it has happened, it's not a crime, okay? Unless you are paying somebody extra or so to give you some type of sexual activity, it's not a crime. And so at the end of the day, uh, that's another thing that would affect conduct. Doing something or saying something or being a way that makes you uncomfortable is not a crime. And so we've had two grand juries find that, and nobody seems to want to listen. Yeah, as we know, we've learned from Rusty, happy endings, not a crime, right? <laughs> so then he was asked this question. Does the 66 women, that number that the New York Times report, he goes, does that seem accurate? Um... I mean, I can ask that. I, I don't think so uh, for what me and my attorneys went through. But at the same time, you know, that's a that's more of a, a legal question that I can't really get into details about. Um, so you'll probably have to ask my attorneys and things like that to confirm. Numbchuck, strike the bell for every time that he said legal team during this press conference. the New York Stock Exchange? Hold on. A couple more. Thank you. There is the last one. There you go. go. And don't forget. There you go. Numbchuck counting the legal team uh, references during this short press conference. Great job today, Numbchuck, of of deciphering that. You're you're better than one of those court stenographers. Outstanding there. Uh, How is that hard to decipher? Is... Does 66 women seem accurate? Uh, I don't know. How about this? You know how many times you picked up the phone or you went on Instagram to go ahead and order a massage? Ballpark it. Once? 10? 20? Over, under? 60? Oh, that's an over. 66. There it is. It's an over. 66. You gotta know. They're your massages. You went to the pro- the trouble and problem to go ahead and set up these so-called dates at the Texans facility, at hotels, on the road, at various hotels and other places. How can he not know what's accurate? Simple yes or no. 66 accurate. Hell no. Not even close. Well, maybe. Yeah, sounds about right. Or how about just maybe no comment? But to, to say that 
Well, I don't know. I have to talk to my legal team. The legal team wasn't sitting there waiting for the happy ending. You were. Deshaun Watson was. How do you refer to a legal team? <laughs> oh, another one. How do you refer to the legal team when this is your own doing, your own massages, and probably your own happy endings? Not the legal team. <laughs> I knew you were waiting for that one. Please. This story just gets more ridiculous as time goes on. And then back to my main point here. What are the Cleveland Browns doing? Where's Baker Mayfield? He's your quarterback. Okay. Coming off shoulder injury, you know, coming off surgery. I get that. You know, but be honest. Baker could have been there, should have been there, was there for every other mandatory mini camp, injured or not. If Deshaun Watson wasn't there, Mayfield would be there to bond with your teammates. What are the Brownies going to do when Roger Goodell does say, you're suspended, six games, eight games, whatever that number is, because we know more than likely it's coming. But what are the Browns doing? Mayfield was your quarterback of the future, right? Number one overall pick. You go out of your way to get Deshaun Watson. You guarantee this Ham and Agar a lot of money. You're taking a huge risk here. Likely is going to be suspended. And you just welcome the circus atmosphere that you got here during minicamp. You think it's bad now for these four days? How, how do you think it's going to be at the end of July for training camp and during the re- regular season? Yeah. Well, we're taking questions, but, well, we're really not taking questions. Yeah, not really. Amazing. Is this supposed to be circus? If you're going to go circus, you better go to Kramer and Seinfeld, uh, you know, being afraid of the clowns. I mean, that's what you need to do. That's much better right there. Yeah. That's what you got here. The Cleveland Browns are a joke. Pop up the tent. Giving this ham hog all this money. You got a quarterback. Played pretty well. And there you go. Let's bring in Deshaun Watson and his 66 massage whatever you want to call them, 24 civil cases still out there. Not one, not two, but 24 out there. Yes, the circus definitely in town. Hey, you can keep that going if you want because I'm not sure if this story means circus too. The PGA Tour has suspended 17 members who are competing in the inaugural live LIV golf tournament, or as we also know it as the Saudi Golf League. That's right. Players who resigned their memberships before starting the Live Golf event held outside of London last week are no longer eligible to compete in tour events or in the President's Cup. Now, Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner, wrote a memo to the players last week. It read like this. These players have made their choice for their own financial base reasons, but they can't demand the same PGA Tour membership benefits, considerations, opportunities, and platform as you. The expectation disrespects you, our fans, and our partners. You have made a different choice, speaking which to the players who defected, which is to abide by the tournament regulations you agreed to when you accomplished the dream of earning a PGA Tour card and... More, I am certain our fans and partners who are surely tired of all this talk of money 
money, and more money will continue to be entertained and compelled by the world-class competition that you display each and every week, where there are true consequences for every shot you take and your rightful place in history whenever you reach that elusive winner's circle to compete as part of the preeminent organization in the world of professional golf. Okay, that's kind of funny. It's kind of sad, too, that he has to go to that length to really overemphasize, you know, this, like, okay, you know, we're the best. We're the PGA Tour. Well, you know, and I'm not siding with the guys that defected because I think this Saudi Golf League, the Live Tour, is a joke. Now, the memos and the players who compete in the Live events are ineligible to participate on the PGA Tour or any other tours that it sanctions. Bryson DeChambeau, the 2020 U.S. Open champion, he's the latest to sign with the Live Tour. Uh, roster also includes former major winners, six-time major champion Phil Mickelson, who's been is kind of the face of this, even though Greg Norman is the really the face of it, who started this mess. Uh, two-time major winners Dustin Johnson, Martin Mayer, Sergio Garcia, Graham McDowell, and others all competed in London last week in their inaugural event. Roy McIlroy won the Canadian Open. That was the PGA Tour that was going on last weekend while the Live Tour was going outside of London. Uh, Roy McIlroy had some interesting thoughts after he won, including taking a shot at Greg Norman. McIlroy's quotes, I think going up against the best and beating the best always makes it extra special. And then, look, I alluded to it. I had extra motivation of what's going on across the pond. The guy that's spearheading that tour has 20 wins on the PGA Tour. Obviously, he's talking about Greg Norman. And he goes, and I was tied with him. And I wanted to get one ahead of him. And I did. So that was really cool for me. Just a little sense of pride on that one. That's right. Roy McIlroy, 21 PGA Tour victories as he passed up Greg Norman. And definitely taking a shot at him. Brooks Kepka said this. As Brooks Kepka is getting ready for the U.S. Open, taking a practice round, okay, today. And he says this, hey, to the media, I'm here at the U.S. Open. I'm ready to play the U.S. Open. And I think it kind of sucks, too, that you all are throwing this black cloud over the U.S. Open. It's one of my favorite events. I don't know why you guys keep doing that. The more legs you give LIV Golf, the more you keep talking about it. I'm trying to focus on the U.S. Open, man. I legitimately don't get it. And I'm tired of the conversations. I'm tired of all this stuff. I think this sucks. I actually do feel bad for the USGA for once because it's a blank situation. S-H-I. You can fill out the rest, right? We're here to play. And you are talking about an event that happened last week. Brooks Kepka talking about that. I don't know where you're going with that nunchuck, but I do like that song. But <laughs> did you have a meaning behind that? You guys confused with WrestleMania? Or what? No. So this is the under the palm tree thing. I it, I hit back on accident. Yeah. So okay. Speaking of which, yeah. okay, there you go. No problem. Uh, we can we can save that one. How's that? Anyway. <laughs> I'd rather hear the circus music. But anyway, no no problem. Uh, so yeah, so Kepka's tired of it. This whole thing is a joke. And I say it's a joke. And I'll, I'm all about free enterprise. 
I mean, that's fine. That's okay. But if you're going to pay golfers over $200 million just to show up, like you're paying Phil Mickelson and DeChambeau and all these other guys, it is a little bit ludicrous and ridiculous. If you got some problems with the PGA, okay, state it. No one likes to have Monopoly. I get that. But to go over for these the money, to go over to this foreign country, which obviously the United States of America has some issues with this country, yeah, you you got to be careful. Of, of, and again, what's the longevity of this? So PGA has every right to revoke their cards and not let them play. Good for them. That's fine. But the next LIV golf tournament, remember, this isn't an every week thing. There's a handful of events. All right, so... And they're playing against the same people over and over and over again. And Monaghan did say that in this situation that you've got, you know, you're playing against the best in the world. You're not playing against limited competition. Well, the next LIV golf tournament will be played in the United States at Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club in Portland from June the 30th to July the 2nd. Uh, Monahan also said the players who compete in future LIV golf events will face the same punishment as the 17 players who were suspended last week. So, there you go. We'll keep an eye on this thing. All right. The NFL, my friend, has a new pizza sponsor. What do you think of this, Numbchuck? Now, I want you to take a wild guess because I know that you don't know this, right? The official pizza... Of the NFL. Can we get a drum roll, please? Or maybe some breaking news here. The NFL has an official pizza sponsor. Who do you think it is, Numbchuck? Take a while. Who makes the most sense? Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut. Very good. Uh, You know, worldwide, we see a lot of their commercials. Pretty good product, right? That answer would be... Incorrect. Numbchuck. Drum roll, please. Take another guess. What prestigious pizza place has the NFL decided to partner with for this coming season? Domino's. Domino's. Ah, um, That would be incorrect. Damn. Yeah. Okay. Domino's, not great pizza in my mind, but we see a lot of commercials. We see Peyton Manning. Ah, you got another idea. You got another brain side. All right, Numbchuck. Who is the NFL partnering with? For best pizza or pizza this year. Papa John's. Papa John's. Peyton Manning. There you go. We see. That'd be incorrect. (laughs) No. The NFL has partnered with. The brand new deal comes a month before the start of the team training camps. The annual unofficial kickoff of the NFL season is with Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. (laughs) That's right. Little pizza, pizza. The agreement will offer Little Caesars a set of exclusive marketing rights designed to connect the pizza brand with the NFL, its events, and fans. Exciting new components like social media games, new products, new packaging, and unique promotions will be revealed before the start of the 2022 season and continue throughout the course of sponsorship. Yes, the Little Caesars love kitchen. They got a love kitchen. Did you know that? That's right. The Big Rig Love Kitchen will visit NFL event cities throughout the year. The Little Caesars Love Kitchen has been serving the homeless and hungry since 1985, which I think is fantastic, by the way. They've served nearly 4 million people in North America. Little Caesars will partner with the NFL and bring the already high, impactful, charitable giving program to key National Football League event cities and provide ongoing post-event community support. I think that is fantastic. They're paying a lot of money to do this. 
But how about their little marketing campaign to go with this? Eating delicious pizza and cheering on the home team. Combined to make the perfect weekend, social activity, and Little Caesars plans to be a special part of those game time meal occasions. The brand, which revolutionized the pizza industry with hot and ready pizzas for convenient pickup and launched the pizza industry's lowest price delivery at the 2020 Super Bowl, is a perfect match for over 100 million NFL fans who regularly watch football games and want their game time meals quickly and easily delivered, whether they choose it. By delivery, exclusive pizza portal pickup, or carryout. Little Caesars, known for the unique product offerings and promotions like the pretzel pizza, Detroit-style deep dish pizza, the Batman calzone, and now offers 33% pepperoni on its classic pizza. Pizza, pizza. There we go. Little Caesars. Pizza. Your partner pizza. for the National Football League. So is every team going to be doubled now? Is it going to be Packer Packers? Packer Packers? Packer Packers? Could you pick a better pizza? We all know that's the worst tasty pizza around, we just right? List, we just listed three better ones. Ex- exactly. And those aren't great either. No. But yes, you're right. But why'd they get the deal? Because they paid the most money, my friend. That's right. And I've got to listen to this now. Pizza, pizza. Stuck in my head. Pizza, pizza. Hey, where your kids want to go? Uh, we'll go to Little Caesars. Pizza, Why? Pizza. Because of this. Pizza, pizza. That. And it's pizza, like five pizza. bucks for a pizza. pizza Cheapo. Pizza, pizza. When we come back, we've got some more Terrible pizza. Tuesday take. The three-time former world champ is in the house. Tony the Tiger Lopez, we'll talk to him. We'll talk NBA Finals next hour. Pizza. Don't you dare go anywhere on what? Pizza. This Terrible Tuesday. Pizza, pizza. Pizza, pizza. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. All right. On a terrible Tuesday edition. What a better segue. Because the last time my man, I believe, was in studio with us, we were at a movie premiere with this with this song, the theme song, I believe, that Nunchuck just pulled it up. That's right. He's a former three-time world champ. He's been in the ring with the likes of Julio Cesar Chavez. And the list goes on and on and on. Rocky Lockridge, the three-time former world champ. Tony the Tiger Lopez in the house also Star of stage, screen, and plumbing. That's right. And the star of Under the Palm Tree, Tony the Tiger Lopez. <laughs> the crowd's a roar. <laughs> there they are. I knew they were somewhere. <laughs> there it is. Under the Palm Tree. Yes, sir. You were you were digging up somebody, or you were playing somebody underneath the palm tree in hey, that movie. That was a that was a good role, and I played it well. Yeah, you did, didn't you? Yes, I did. This is one of your one of your most proud moments in your career, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> what career? <laughs> oh, you know what? You know what? You know what I just seen last night. Who's that? Uh, uh, Ali's wife, Muhammad Ali's wife. Yeah, and not the night before last or whatever. And uh, uh, she's gonna do a movie. Okay. And she goes, I want you in my movie. Under the Palm Tree too? No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> right. Another shovel. <laughs> But she, she, so she took down my information. She goes, you know, she will be perfect for a part that I need. She goes, uh, I got a part for you. I go, good, I'm down. 
You're right. So that'd be interesting. Right. You know, she says she's got all the funding. She says it's ready to go. It's going to be a massive movie. Not 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 some little, you know, on the side kind of gig. Just okay. Big theater stuff. I guess. Oh yeah. So that'd be interesting. That'd be good. Yeah, never know. I mean, you, you always keep your options open. That's what I, I like about you. Hey, man, I can pretend I can box or something, dude. You yeah. know what I mean? Hit the bag or something. <laughs> pretend, right? Yeah, you know. Well, so speaking of which, I mean, you roll into town here, and you just got back from Florida, and, uh, and I appreciate you stopping by, uh, you know, come, come through Vegas, and I, I wish you could see this, and we will go ahead and tweet this picture out a little bit later, but the Tiger is not... Wearing one of his championship belts or championship rings, Hall of Fame rings. No, he's not doing any of that stuff. He's got about a 16-pound gold chain that he's wearing. And it looks like you you either just won a gold medal or you escaped out of a, a Turkish prison. Something like that. I, I don't know what it is. Which one do you want to hear? I, 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 <laughs> I got stories on both of them. I know, I know you do. And you're rolling here with Albert Ochoa, who just came off a an impressive knockout. All right. Uh, in, in Florida as well, too, right? Well, you know what? Here's the deal. I don't get it. You know, I'm the one that trained him. Right. I showed him how to do it. Yeah. Just because he did it doesn't mean, well, I guess it doesn't mean he follows directions, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, so, well, so, someone's so listening to you. So let's hear it for Albert Ochoa. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> you All know, right. yeah, he, he, it was, it was, he was actually, um, uh, you know what? I was, it's a long story, but yeah. he's come a long way mm-hmm. in a very, very short time. Mm-hmm. I kid you not, he walks in my gym. Well, I walk into his gym one time. I go down to Petaluma to watch him train one day. He goes, hey, hey, come see me train. I want, I want. I need some help. He had a fight in November last year or something like that. And I went down. I thought, oh, okay, whatever. I'll go down there. And I looked and I thought, oh, God, this ain't going to work. <laughs> you know, because he goes, oh, yeah, I got nine days left before my fight. <laughs> Good luck. And so I went back a second day, and I just basically told him, hey, man, there's nothing I can do for you. Call me when you have some couple months at least, minimum. Like, I, that way I can get you at least to go two or three uh, you know, rounds, you right. know. And then so he goes, okay. So he calls me back. You know, after the fight was over, uh, it didn't go so well. So he calls me back. He says, hey, Unc, I'm ready. I got two months. So we start to get ready. I, you know, I'm a man of my word. So I said, but you got to come to SAC. I'm not going to Petaluma every day. So he starts coming to SAC. And most of the time, I, I really honestly thought that he'd come for a few days and then stop. You know, that's a long drive. You know, I, I made it. So uh, it's a long drive. And I wouldn't have done it. But he did. So that showed me that he wants to win. So, or he at least wants to train and learn. And so uh, he kept coming every day. And... And then I told him to go home and practice, you know, get in front of a mirror and practice. And here's the crazy part. I tell all the people that. Everyone, every person I've ever trained, I'd say, go home and practice. One and a half hour in the gym every day is not going to make you a fighter. Go home and practice. Well, out of all the probably hundreds, not thousands yet, but hundreds of people I've trained, um, he's probably the only one that went home and tried it. Eighteen days later, and, you know, I go, I'm thinking, I'm looking at him going, Dang, he's ready for a gym. Because we train at my house because I don't want him to go to the gym and feel like in, you know, like everybody's towering over right. or sure. way better than him. So want the privacy I, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. so I yeah. start him at the house first. And then so we take him to the gym, and we're down we're downtown Sacramento at the gym down there. And then uh, everybody comes out. He starts moving around, starts you know, throwing his punches. And other trainers are coming to me going, hey, Tone, uh, how many fights does this kid have? None. He just started 18 days ago. <laughs> you know? right. And it's funny because he looked pretty decent. He looked right. pretty good. And you know, I'm not going to say he's a perfect angel and did everything I told him to do the whole time because no one does that. But, and he hasn't either. And, and, uh, but he's, uh, he's, he's dedicated. So 
He has he and he's a he's a he's one of those uh, celebrity boxers, so he's not a real boxer. He's like a YouTube star. He's he's yeah, like yeah. He, he's he like is. a better version of Jake Paul, right? Pretty much. There yeah, you go. There right. you go. There you go. But but you know here's the thing. He came out and I and I and I, I and it was training was hard. It wasn't. I wasn't easy. I'm not. I'm not easy on nobody in training because you know you're you're training someone to go to war. Okay, I want him to land his bombs. I don't want no bombs landing on him. So it's a tough job sometimes. And so uh, he goes out, and you know we're getting ready. I'm talking to him, giving the old pep talks and stuff, and doing all the stuff I can do. We go down to Florida, uh, down to Miami, and it was uh, last Saturday night. Right. So he comes out, and I tell him, man, because the guy he's for this weight division, he's kind of tall. So he fought a kid who was about five five. And I'm five seven, so he's shorter than I am. And I thought I was short. And so you are short. <laughs> I know, but he's shorter than me now. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> and then, uh, so then I tell him, "Hey, man, get out there, work your jab. As soon as you can hit him with jab, turn the right hand and start start punching. Don't stop. And you know, I, do what you got to do." And he went out there, did exactly that. Second round knockout. And awesome. Yeah, so he did a really good job. I'm, I mean, I'm still kind of smiling. I wouldn't smile in front of him, but I'm kind of smiling. Kind of smiling. Yeah, a little it's, bit. He did it's like job. a proud papa thing. You yeah, know? kind yeah. of. Yeah, that's cool. You know? Albert, um, I want to ask you. So, Tony the Tiger Lopez, how yeah. familiar were you with the success he had? Because a lot of young fighters, yeah. they don't understand a lot of times the it's a big the, deal. The old the old school guys, you know. Yeah, um, I was very familiar. Our mm. families go way back from the '60s, and not many people know that. But um, yeah, his his uh, his father and my grandfather were really good, really close back in the day. And hey, 50, 60 years later, I got a three-time world champion training me for a celebrity boxing match. So, how serious have you been about boxing? And now with this hooking up with Tony and mm-hmm. getting this victory in Florida. Are you thinking even more serious about it now? Um, you know, I think I'm I'm very serious. You know, he's trained, you know, a lot of people and he they stopped showing up. I've he's been training me. I've never missed a day and I ask him a lot of questions. I pick his brain and coming home from this win in from Miami, Florida, it was special and yeah, I'm I'm ready for a ne- another fight and I think it's going to be another knockout. That's the plan. And you know I, you know why most people quit showing up after the second or third time? Tony's very hard. You got that right. He's very hard. Hey, Tony's very hard. He's you, might very, under, yeah. you might end up underneath the palm tree. Yeah, no, he's, he's old school and he's very hard. And um, he's very different than all the trainers that I've ever met yeah. and seen in this boxing world. Yeah. And he's pushed me to the limits. That's Even awesome. when I hated it, he pushed me. You know what they got him doing? What? The bolo. Oh, 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 wait! Do you know that move? Oh, oh, oh. You know that? Yeah. He was teaching me that move, and everyone in the gym was like, "Hey, what? What is he doing?" Because I landed it a few times yeah. in sparring, and yeah. they were like, "What? Good they for you, they man. don't know how to react to it." And yeah. Hey, I, you know, I'm really blessed to have a you know world champion, and not many people can say that you know yeah. boxing. Right. Could be kind of cocky to have that bolo. You yeah, know, you know what? Yeah. And and, 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 and he's delivering it pretty good. Good. Uh, you know, because the other fighters have no idea what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Some trainers, even if even if they're old trainers, yeah. they're they're like. What the heck was that? Yeah, I feel like going. It's a bolo fool. Yeah, you know what I mean, <laughs> yeah. boxing for a million years, right. longer than me. Right, you know? right, right. And so, uh, you know, I'm just teaching him different stuff to to give him a different perspective of boxing and which way from where it comes. Like even defense, we've touched on. We talked more than touched on defense, yeah. but he has not perfected it, and it's the hardest. It's one of the hardest things to learn in defense, especially. The way I do it, because you know, remember, I I stick my, I drop my hands, stick my chin out, right? Exactly. I dare you, you That's know. It. And like I tell people, I said it's easy. I said, but you have to really believe you can do it. There I you said, go. Watch. Here's the only thing they can do. 
They're either going to, and I, I'll tell you, watch. You get in a fight and you stick your chin out at somebody, I can tell you what they're going to do before the, before, I can tell you right now what they're going to do. They're going to throw a left or right. It's going to come low or high. But you already know that. And, but your instincts already know that, and you already know that. So whatever, whatever, he, whatever arm flinches, you move. Mm-hmm. And that's all you got to do. It's not that hard. But it's the reaction time that has that – I'm not as fast as I used to be, but mm-hmm. I bet you I can still do it nine times out of ten. <laughs> Dude, yeah. you, you have always stayed in great shape. I mean, obviously, you can't fight a lightweight no more. But, uh, <laughs> but, but still, no, seriously. I mean, you know, and I don't want to you know, tell people how old you are and that sort of thing, but you look great, man. Thank you, bro. You could, you could, you oh, could no, still I, you know, And you've always been pimping out like, hey, you know, you, you want like, uh, a, a, I don't want to say old timers, but, you know, retired boxers division. You want that. And you would, you would be fantastic in it. And I know you challenged some of these fools in the past. Oh, yeah. And they won't know. step up and fight you. Well, you know what? Chavez just said so. Now, watch. Here's the deal. Real, real stuff, no lies. Yeah. Went to Mexico, told everybody, you know, the first time I got the plane, what's going to happen? Are, you know, I, I speak Spanish, so everybody's speaking Spanish. And they're going, what's going to happen? What are you going to do? Box for 10 rounds, I'm going to knock him out in the last two. Championship rounds, he's not going to make it. Said it for two months, two days before the fight. We're on, me and him were on TV, and he's talking his little smack. Not really bad, but you know how he does. And then I, uh, you know, and, and uh, then it was my turn. I said, I looked at him. I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna box for ten. I'm gonna knock him out in the last two. I said, we're gonna go to war. I go, one of us is gonna get knocked out, and it's not me. <laughs> and then, so I checked this out. <laughs> I should have known better. You think I'd know? Mm. And so. What happens? So I get it. He hits me after the second round. In the second round of the fight, he hits me late. They don't take a point. They don't do anything. And so uh, uh, they just tell him to go back to the corner. And so he put, I got a two-stitch cut over my left eye. Well, it starts bleeding. Well, it's bleeding the whole time pretty much, but it's not getting in my eye. It's not doing anything. It's not even really bothering me. So in the 10th round, the referee comes over. I, I, I mean, I'm moving around. I, I swear, I'm thinking. Okay, next two rounds, it's on and cracking. I'm, I'm, we're going, we're going to go to war, and so I'm, I'm already, you know, I'm psyching myself out during the tenth round. The referee goes to me, looks at me, goes, "Hey," comes, does like this, and he was like, he puts his his hand on his eye, like, what the heck are you talking about?" I mean, it's not getting my eye, it's not doing anything. He pulls me over, takes me over to the doctor. The doctor, we're standing on top of the ring, right? right. So I'm about right. what eight, ten feet above the doctor. Doctor's some old man that can barely see, and he goes, Oh, no, ya se cavo, ya se cavo, which means, in translation, it means, Oh, no, it's over, it's over. Right. So I go, you're kidding me, right? So I go, so I go okay, okay, here's what we'll do. I said, watch this. I go, I go, it's not bothering me. I go, give me this last round, because the round just started. I said, give me this last round, give me this round, and, and if I don't knock him out this round, you can stop the fight, and I'll never complain, I'll never say a word. He goes, no, 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 ya se cavo, ya se cavo. You know, you then, you know, because <laughs> they're going to do what they're going to do anyways, you know. And then uh, the whole thing was, watch, this is what this is something. This is some inside boxing that people because there's a lot of stuff that happens. You know that there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that happens that people don't know about. Right. Well, so what, the thing with this, this was, uh, you know, Chavez gave his after talk, you know, and then right. he went back to the dressing room. Well, since, you know, Steve Barad was always been my doctor from Sacramento, you know, Dr. Steve Barad, he's my doctor so, for, in the ring. So. He came down with us, and you know when they stopped the fight, he goes to the to the to the dressing room, and he starts getting the stitches ready. So he goes back to the dressing room, and Chavez, is, you know, he goes first, and Chavez talks, and then he goes in, and then while he's back there, they're yelling "doctor, doctor," you know, in Spanish, yelling "doctor, doctor," and then uh, so they go get Steve. Steve, they you know he had a problem with his with his rib; he had two broken ribs. 
And then that's why they stopped the fight. You know, they didn't stop the fight for my cut. You know, they stopped the fight because he had two broken ribs. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that's see, that's some of the stuff that people really don't know. But you know what? For as a fighter, you ain't gonna do nothing about it. They they don't care. They're, he never he never even made the weight. As to this day that yep. we're talking right here, right. I have no idea what he weighed because he never made it. Nineteen ninety four. Yeah, back December tenth, nineteen ninety four. And Chavez's record at that point in time was ninety two and one. Yep. And and you're fighting him. And uh, you know what's a funny story here? You've got to tell the contract story with Don King. Wasn't, oh. it, wasn't it before this fight? Yeah. It was before yeah. this fight, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you why you got to tell it. Because so many people have been talking to me. And I was telling the story to some people about that because they were talking about Don King. And uh, we had, uh, when Showtime Sean Porter was on last week at, uh-huh. at the Cosmopolitan. And we were talking about promoters compare what Don King was like then and this and that because Don King tried to sign Sean Porter back mm-hmm. in the day and this and that. So I was telling him your story. Mm-hmm. But you tell it so so well. So so tell the typical Don King story when you were getting ready to fight Chavez how he had two contracts for you to sign. No, that's before I fought before I fought any because I fought for him for five times. That's true. Right. So this is when I had to sign contracts. So my dad and I'll, I'll clean it way up. Yeah. So my he calls my dad calls me he says hey Tony uh, Don King wants to uh, talk to you wants to be your promoter, I said cool okay he goes uh, we got to go to uh, Vegas and you know Caesars at the time right. and he goes we're gonna have a meeting with him okay cool so uh, he goes we're gonna bring John Verga who was my attorney my boxing attorney goes, okay cool let's do it so we go down there long story short we go down there we're, we're in his room we open the door he you know and King is King and Tyson was there Don King was there. But a few people were there. It was crazy. Anyway, so we walk in, and uh, beautiful table. Oh, my yep. God. It had to be 20 foot long, maybe four and a half, five feet wide. A big kitchen table. Beautiful table. Heavy wood. And Don King's back there. And watch. Don King, to me, is about one of the coolest dudes I've ever met in my life. Because he is so real. You know, he's telling yep. his story how he got into boxing, how he, how he had to do what he had to do. And... You know, because it was a white man's world, and he has to do what he has to do. He goes, man, would I do a few fighters dirty after Christmas? He goes, of course I did, but I had to come up. He goes, that's what I have to do. He goes, now my only problem is I pay you guys, you know, you guys way too much money. <laughs> and I just go, well, good, pay me too much money. I, I don't mind, you know. <laughs> and he goes, and he starts laughing. He's ha ha he he, and he's doing all that stuff. We're having a good time. Mm-hmm. And then so we start talking contra. He starts, you know, he goes. Uh, he said something, and then, and then I must have said something. Well, I said something back, and he goes, because I don't remember anymore now. And then he goes, uh, he goes, Miss Lopez. He goes, you're gonna make it. Oh, he goes, uh, he goes. The fighters get in trouble because they sit. They come here first. They sit in the same chair you do. He goes, they come here to sign contracts. He goes, Miss Lopez, you know how to sign a contract? I go, no. I go, that's why I brought John. And he goes, well, you know how many, you know, sign, sit there in the same seat you do without an attorney. Yeah. He goes, man, he goes, I'm a businessman. I go, so am I. He goes, and I can see that. And he goes, I can tell you're going to make a lot of money in this business, Mr. Lopez. I go, good. I go, he goes, he goes, Mom, that's when he told me, he goes, the only problem is I pay fighters way too much money. I go, well, I don't have a problem with that. Pay me too much money. Right. You know, and he goes, oh, he starts laughing. We're joking and kicking it. And so then he goes, you know, and then Mike Tyson's in the room. And at the time, this is, this is 19, probably 1993 or two or late two or right. three. Right, right. Because this is when we first started. And Tyson's in the room, and they're yelling back and forth, right? King's in front of us. Tyson's in the room. They're yelling back and forth about money. And uh, King Tyson's asking King, hey, man, should I buy this thing? He goes, man, he goes, you ain't never going to give another bear, better deal on it. And, and so, you know, and so they're yelling back and forth. And I think it may be because he goes, 
And I'm, I'm trying to go, whoa. You're trying to have a meeting. you got this total no, chaos no, going no. all around you. I'm trying to find out what the heck's he buying. Right. So, no, I know I that. Know, yeah. so, so I'm sitting there going, I wonder what he's buying. So I go, they're yelling. I'm thinking, okay, they're yelling in front of us. So I ask King, what's he goes, he goes, you're never going to buy it for that price. That's the only price you're ever going to hear that at $300,000. And I'm thinking, okay, $300,000, smart small condo for somebody, somebody in the family or something, you know. And then I go, so I ask, I go, hey, what's he buying? A watch. <laughs> <laughs> Can I see what it looks like? Right. I mean, can I smell it? Right. I mean, you know, I, right. mean, you don't, I don't know. I've never seen a 300000 Now, this is 1992 or three, right? right? That's a lot of money back then. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they're acting like it's, like it's no big deal. I mean, and they're, and they're both doing the same. I mean, oh, you yeah. Know, it's not like, you know, everybody thinks that Don King's this big, bad guy. Hey, look, he's a businessman, just like right. I am. Right. You know, I'm a bell bondsman. Well, that's kind of dying. So but. so he's got two contracts, basically, in front of you, right? Oh, yeah. So finish oh, that yeah, story. Yeah. About okay, that. Okay. So he's got to bring him back on track <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I told you, that. He's got, he took too many punches <laughs> to the head back in the day, but that's okay. So, so watch this. When we first sat down, he had... Five, he had five contracts on, on two sides. So there's ten right. contracts, right. five on the left side, yeah. five on the right side. Right. And how it really went down when it, when it first started, um, you know, we sat down and, uh, and he, I introduced my dad and myself, yeah. he, you know, myself, my dad. And I just introduced him as John Verga. I didn't right. say my attorney, John Oh, you did yeah, right. I just said this John Verga. Right. He goes, okay, so when we're talking, he goes, well, he goes, look, look at here. He goes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay you the minimum amount of nothing to a maximum amount of 750 he goes, you put down what you want, what you want to make on each fight. He goes, I've already signed them all, and I'm going, huh? Like really? And he goes, so he goes, go ahead. He goes, he pulls out five of the con- five of the ten contracts. He pushes one side out, and he pushes them out, and then John Verga leans over me to pick him up. And he goes, oh, can I see it? And he goes, hey, yeah, 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 and he starts laughing. And he starts pulling these five contracts back, right? And I'm going, whoa. And so I'm looking at it and I'm going, I'm thinking, what was that? Yeah. So I'm looking, I'm pulling this back. So me being me, I go, what was that? Yeah. And then he went from he, he, ha, ha. Right. He came straight. Yeah. He goes, Mr. Lopez, you're, you're going to make a lot of money in this business. He goes, I can see you're a businessman. He goes, and so am I. He goes, my job as a businessman is to make money. He goes, I, and a businessman like you is to make money. Boxing is your business. He goes, I see because you brought an attorney that you're a man about your business. And that's when he started saying right. that all these other right. fighters don't right. have one. Right. And I go, I go, okay. And so John, you know, we start talking. So John goes, hey, uh, are we allowed to read them other one? He goes, oh, yeah, it's 100% legal. Sure, take one. Take it, read them both. I don't care. Right. Here. He goes, if you want to sign them, great. If you don't, just let me know. We'll, we'll talk about it in the morning. And so... Uh, and so that's pretty much the, at the end of the meeting. So I'm going, okay. So we we leave, and I'm going, hey John, go read that thing. I want I want to I want to know the difference between them because yeah, me too. He goes, I really want to know the difference of them. So he goes, okay, we'll we'll talk about it during uh, breakfast tomorrow. We'll have breakfast and we'll talk about it. So he reads them overnight. Comes back the next day, and we're talking about it in breakfast. And then he goes, uh, speed things up. He goes, he goes, hey man, he goes two two contracts. One, uh, the simplest way I can do it is say one you fight for, one you fight under Don King Productions. The one you fight for Don King Productions says, no, the one you fight under Don King Productions says, Don King's going to pay for everything. Don King's going to pay for food, whatever you have, your training, everything that you do is going to be paid for by Don King. 
And that's the one that most everybody signed because Don King's paying for everything. Yeah. But in the small print where everybody yeah. says, it says you got to pay him back before you get your money. Right. Times. Right. You know what right. I mean? Right. And so, uh, so, but the one we signed says, you know, you're going to make $750,000 for the fight. You're going to have training expenses. So how much you want for your training expenses? They said you put down your amount that you want for training expenses. So you got your contract uh, for seven for seven fifty because that's what we put them out yeah. all that plus your training expenses. So and then how you train is how you train. You just better make sure you come in on weight and on time for the weigh-ins and fight. That's all. That the other one you fight under Don King production, yeah. and that's the one that that people don't read. It said because they want to bring. You remember the old big entourages? You know everybody had a hundred people for entourages. Right. That's because. It's it's on their bill. They just didn't read it. Yeah, and that's the thing. So you have one contract with an attorney, one contract, you don't bring your attorney. Right. And you're going to yeah. get screwed if, if, if you don't yeah, uh, I mean, you know, read those contracts. Well, like you, don't you have said, an attorney it's, it's you. your business. Right. You know, if you mind your business or somebody will mind your business. There it is. You know? Tony the Tiger Lopez. He's, you he's, know? He's, 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 he's a great follow, especially on Facebook. Have you, get, you got kicked out of Facebook lately? No, I haven't got kicked That's out. That's crazy. Because no, you, you, you know about three or four times a year you get kicked off. No, no. He, he got me uh, identified. Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got him verified on Instagram. Yeah, okay, there you identified, go. verified. Verified. It's one of those things. Yeah, cool. but, he, but since then, they don't, they don't really bother me anymore. All right, so. brother. I love that chain, man. That, that that's a that's a real deal. It's, it's a fat chain, dude. I'm telling you. No, no, dude. No, that, it's, you it's know, cool. Yeah, that it's might heavy. be worth three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. You think? Yeah, that's Don King. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right, hey, you're free to hang out, man. We got to talk some basketball with our next guest. Uh, you know, coming up here, uh, we've got that happening. NBA Finals and, and a whole lot more. It's a terrible Tuesday, and Tony the Tiger Lopez is in the house. You know. <laughs> The Tiger and uh, and Albert Ochoa. Congratulations, man. Yeah, All right. You. All right. You. YouTube sensation one day. Professional boxer now the next. Look Never at that. Know. You got to love that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> We're back with more on the other side. Thurl Bailey is going to join us, the former 13-year NBA veteran. Also does a great job on the uh, Utah Jazz uh, broadcast network. We'll talk to him about the NBA Finals uh, Game 5, the look back from last night, look ahead to Game 6, see if the Warriors are going to close it out. That and a whole lot more coming your way on a terrible Tuesday, T.C. Martin Show. Yo! Capital of the world. A spit screen. Hoji will defend. Oh! LeBron James with no record for human life. It's the TC Martin Show. Oh! Flight nine is cleared for landing. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Gasol says, hey, pass a big ticket. TC Martin. Oh, here comes the Birdman. Is now in. Unos, dos, tres. Ole! Ole! Yo! All right. I want to thank my man, Tony the Tiger Lopez, for dropping by. Talk a little boxing. All good stuff there. The three time former world champ. This hour, we talk NBA Finals. Don Logan's going to join us at the bottom of the hour as well, too, as we talk a little Major League Baseball with the president of the Las Vegas Aviators. A lot of terrible Tuesday stuff still to get to this hour as well, too. But right now, we talk NBA Finals. The Golden State Warriors 
get the job done last night. They've got themselves a 3-2 series lead. A chance to close it out on Thursday night as the series shifts back to Boston. And our next guest knows, oh, a thing or two about the Golden State Warriors. And, of course, he knows a thing or two about the NBA as well, too. We're talking about the 13-year NBA veteran and also former national champ, as you well know, at NC State back in the day, 1983, for Jim Valvano's team. But uh, great job as a broadcaster. Been doing it for a long time with the Utah Jazz on the television side as their basketball analyst, Thurl Bailey, Big T in the house. What's going on, my friend? Good man, I'm I'm out on the Harley today. Well, I'm not on my Harley right now, obviously, but good weather here. Uh, just cool enough right now. But uh, I'm loving some NBA Finals, man. I'm telling you, it's it really has been entertaining, Thurl. Even though that we've had just double digit victory after double digit victory, and these games are really hard to call, they're hard to predict. But in the end, I, I, you know, the scores will say blowouts. But they are, you know, pretty competitive and pretty riveting, wouldn't you say? I would say that, and I would also say that, you know, a lot of times it's we know that the 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 best player has to show up every night. But I think what we've seen is that these teams are deep enough that they're capable of winning without their best player having a great outing. Uh, and, and last night was a perfect example of that. Uh, Steph Curry could not buy a three-point uh, field goal, but you know when Andrew Wiggins comes through on both ends like he's done, like he did last night, and his defense on Tatum is is up to par. Uh, it's a it's a great matchup. You've got a couple of dogs on both teams, uh, obviously with uh, you know on with Draymond Green on Golden State side. Uh, you've got a guy who's going to bring that. Spiciness, but Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown are the same for Boston. You know, like I mentioned, you've seen the Warriors a lot in broadcasting these Utah Jazz games, and not just this year's Warriors teams, but the Warriors franchise, you know, in those, I want to say, I guess, glory years, especially, you know, from 2015 to where they're at right now. Any surprise for you that the Warriors are one game away from closing this thing out? Yeah, I think there's an element of surprise in there um, to a certain point. I mean, you know that the core of that team, you know, obviously with Clay Thompson and Draymond and Steph Curry have been there. They've they've been there before. They know how to to pass that down to the other guys. Steve Kerr obviously is the same coach, and he's been able to to tweak it, you know, every year to be to be in the mix. They haven't been there for a while, but. Um, this, I think the surprise is is that you have a play Thompson who hadn't played for two years. He's kind of he's really starting to hit his groove right now. KD, who left a few years ago, you didn't think that uh, you know this team with those guys and some new guys mixed in uh, would get back there. But uh, yeah, that's where the element of surprise comes in. When you watch them in the regular season, you didn't really. You know, think that for sure that they were a shoe in for the most part to get to the finals. This is true. What is your opinion, Thorough, on Draymond Green, where he's at right now? Uh, obviously, he was under a lot of scrutiny at the beginning of this playoff series. There were some flashbacks, not to his really his uh, his play going back to uh, you know 
those years when they, uh, you know, played Cleveland and LeBron James. But, you know, people still remember, you know, the, the temper and the fouls and the technical fouls and that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, the last couple of games, he's kind of settled down a little bit to, to a certain degree. And, uh, you know, he's not costing his team. But there was talk, as you know, in the first, you know, three games of the series that you can make the argument that Draymond Green was probably the worst player on the floor, you know, for the Warriors or in this entire series. What is your take on, on Green, where he is now in his career, and you know, what we've seen from him over these first five games. Yeah, I really like Draymond and what he brings. And, 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 and I always say Draymond's either going to hurt you or he's going to tremendously help you. And there's, there's not a lot of middle ground in there, right? We know you probably aren't going to get a ton of scoring out of him. Not a very good three-point shooter. You know, he may look at it, but he may make one out of, I don't know, every eight or so. But he brings a different element that, teams need uh, and and that's that that alpha dog mentality where you know you, you you sometimes if if you overuse it then you hurt your team and I think Draymond would even tell you that himself that you know he's got to be able to channel what his best asset is and when you when he can do that and he can rally the team and not become a problem or a distraction if you will um you know, they, they, they tend to do very well. Last night he got in foul trouble, um, and that's okay because, you know, he's he's a tenacious defender, but, uh, you know, he has to pick and choose and channel those things. I, I like what he brings to that team, um, and, you know, you've got a coach in Steve Kerr who, who has been able to, to do, in a sense, um, what Phil Jackson was able to do on that Chicago Bulls team with the Dennis Rodman. Right, you know you have that element now. You've got to be able to to use that to the best of your ability. And I think he's been able to do that. Did you ever have a teammate that had that type of persona or personality, or could actually be a, a detriment to your team? Not to that degree that I remember. No, I, I think uh, Carl had a lot of that. He was even without taking it to the extreme, he personified it with his play. Um, and he brought he brought that kind of fear and and kind of trepidation and, and and whoever was guarding him, you know, you you put that question mark in your head. Or you you got to go up against Carl tonight. You know what you're going to get. It wasn't vocal for the most part. Um, so we I really never had that teammate that we had to go and just calm down and you know keep him out of fights and stuff like that. Uh, and not that. You know, sometimes that's a good that's a good thing to have, and I think it has to be a player, you know, who is who's proven that, not just someone who comes in and just tries to do it, you know, every six games. But no, I, I think it's more prevalent now where guys are are more vocal. You know, there's there's a lot more social media and stuff, so that you have to have a different character to be able to have to have that kind of cultist following, and you know, never really had that on our team. So people are saying right now, okay, so Thurl Bailey did not play with Ron Artest. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. But, but, you know, but what if? You know, what if? I mean, could you coexist with a personality like that? And again, you know, we talked to Bill Cartwright all the time, and you know, they had Dennis Rodman on that Bulls team. But you know, Bill always says, you know, you know, Den- Dennis was unique. They knew what they were getting with him, but you know, he wasn't 
you know, he was undependable at times, but he just he wasn't that guy that was going to go get in fistfights. But, but here's the bottom line. The bottom line is, what else is that guy bringing to the table that's going to help you win? Right. Right. Is that guy, yeah, he may not be reliable sometimes off the court, but when he steps on the floor, you know exactly what persona he's going to be in and you know what you're going to get from him. And, and, and that's what the best of those guys have been able to do. Uh, they, they know. You know there, there, there are times when they may overdo it and they may hurt their team on a given night. But in the long haul, uh, you look at those kind of guys and a lot of them have championship rings. You know, Boston came in here. A lot of people were thinking, hey, they can defeat the Warriors. They're known as the best defensive team in the NBA. Warriors are right behind them. A lot of people, you know, forget about that. But I guess the biggest knock on Boston, and and for me, and I've said it too, is the inconsistency. You just don't know what you're going to get. And I think there's maybe several reasons we can say this, but I'm curious to get your opinion, Thurl, on this. What do you, why is Boston? so inconsistent why is it is it just not taking care of the basketball is it the turnovers is because they are too reliant on the three what do you see when you look at the celtics team well for sure the turnovers killed them last night i mean you're not gonna in the finals you turn the ball over 20 plus times um it's going to be tough for you and and i think they've only been able to win one game by doing that um but for them, for me, I think their biggest issue was until last night, really, the third quarter offensively. Um, I think they they had, and and even during the regular season, they had the tendency to go through these third quarter droughts. Um, defensively, there's no question. I think both teams rely on the three to a certain extent. Um, I I think. Golden State has done a better job at mixing it up and staying aggressive, going to the basket. Um, but, yeah, I think that weakness really is on the offensive end. Um, when you don't, I mean, look at their, their bench points last night. They only had 10 points off the bench last night. And you look at uh, Golden State, and they had two guys with double figures. So Peyton the second, who was a huge, I mean, that's an X factor there, right. 15 points and Jordan Poole with 14. So, um, you know, when you when you turn the ball over and you can't keep the other team from from having those kind of X-factor nights, I think that's what hurts Boston. Listen, they're not out of this thing. Um, they they can, you know, they've shown that they can come back and, and win games. Now they have an opportunity to, to, to go back home and, and prove something. But uh, they've got to put together almost a perfect game one through four, um, because even when the Warriors let them back in, they've got so many weapons out there uh, that you know they they're good closers. As you know, you really need that X factor. It just cannot be your superstar player. It can't even just be you know your two or three guys that you can count on night in and night out. And we always talk about Boston with their big three. I mean Tatum, Brown, and Smart. These these three guys, Tatum had 27 last night, 23 in Game 4. Brown, 18 and 17 those last two games, and Smart, 20 and 18. They're getting the production from their big three, but it still hasn't been good enough to win those last two games. And when you look at Golden State, like you said, 
You mentioned Jordan Poole, Gary Payton the second, big time. Clay Thompson chips in with twenty one. And but Andrew Wiggins, I mean, that's the guy here I want to focus on and get your opinion of, about this guy. You know, not a lot of people thought much of him. He was sitting there in Minnesota, didn't have a great surrounding cast. We always knew this guy had some pretty good talent, but it just seems like the Warriors can get these guys and just make them shine. Uh, Give me your thoughts about Andrew Wiggins when you first saw him come in the league, because you've seen him quite a bit, and then to where he is right now, fitting in with his Golden State team, 26-13 and last night, and we saw you know, what he did uh, with 16 rebounds you know, in Game 4. I love Andrew Wiggins. You know, I played against his dad, Mitchell Wiggins, uh, during my career. Um, but Andrew Wiggins, to me, is a guy who is, is uh, you know, first of all, when you're the first pick of the draft, when you came out in 2014, there's a lot of weight on your shoulders to perform. People have that expectation that this is who you need to be. And not that he, he wasn't that, but I don't think he, he could be that where he was. And, and, and sometimes it takes a little bit. Um, you look at Steph Curry's career, and the Steph we see now is not the Steph we saw the first couple of years, first few years in the league. But Andrew Wiggins, to me, when he went to Golden State, he had to make a decision, right? I mean, he had to put his ego aside, put everything else behind him and say, look, um, this is going to be my role. And I'm sure that Coach Kerr explained that to him. This is going to be your role. We don't need you to go out and be the first pick of the draft type player, right? We just need you to solidify you within the concept of what we do. And he's been able to do that. He's been able to sacrifice you know, trying to be the go-to guy and say, I'm just going to come in here and play a role. And when you watch him play, the guy, I don't, I don't really remember ever seeing him complain. If he does, it's not a lot and it's not for long. He goes out, he does his job, he fits in well, and he turns it up when he needs to, and he's got the trust of, of that team. And last night was a great example of that mm-hmm. um, because, you know, when Steph's not hitting three, somebody's got to pick it up and, Andrew Wiggins is—he's—he's uh, you know, he's already he made himself an All Star, but he's solidifying a, a great career. Uh, he's got some good years left in him as well. Yeah, he does. Thurl Bailey uh, joins us talking NBA Finals Game Five last night. Warriors defeat the Celtics one hundred four ninety four. Another ten point win for the Warriors. Hey, Thurl, first team to win two straight games in this series. And we talked about it. It was just like, okay, you know, who's going to show up night in, night out? Uh, these guys alternating wins and losses through the first four games. And, and here the Warriors did it. They won two straight games, 11-0 and at home in this postseason. We've talked about before what a great home court advantage uh, they have here. What do you see as this series now goes back to Boston and Boston facing elimination, but again, losing you know, back-to-back games for the first time? Well, we talked about the matchup, and I just – I think it's just difficult to beat a team three straight times when you have this kind of a a finals. I I expect Boston to come out and put up a really, really good fight uh, and and may even be able to to, to get a, a victory at the end by small margin. Um, it's either going to be a small margin or blowout. I mean, I, I just that's just the way I, I feel like it's going to go. 
Um, what's the mindset of Boston coming in? Obviously, their back's against the wall. They lose. They're, you know, they, they're on vacation. The Warriors, what's their mindset? Uh, you know, we've got two games. We can close it out at home. We know Boston's going to be ready. It's, it's, it's really hard to say, but you know it's going to be a great matchup. You just know it is. And, and Boston's going to be ready. I don't think they, they're deflated in any way. They know they still have an opportunity by the way they played you know, prior games prior to the one last night. I agree with you, I, and that's the first thing that hits my mind. Much, even though I picked the Warriors, and I think the Warriors are the better team, and they're rolling right now, but I just have this feeling that Boston could win in blowout fashion in this game, and we saw that happen with Golden State at Memphis, where Memphis, you know, kind of had the feeling they're not going to win the series, and then but Memphis blew them out, and you know, it sounds crazy to think that any team in the NBA Finals, especially in a closeout game, would like kind of take the night off. And it's not like I don't think Golden State is going to have that mindset, but it just happens where whether you know whatever it is for some for some reason, you know, you, you think you're ready, but then you get in, the adrenaline happens, and we saw that when this series was in Boston. I mean, we saw Boston jump out to these great starts. And if that happens, this thing could could turn ugly for the Warriors. That is so true, man. The way you describe that kind of unconscious letdown in a way. I mean, as athletes, I'm sure most athletes have gone through it. They step on the court of the field, and you know they they don't want to think that the opponent is any less. Um, but you know, sometimes it happens, right? Sometimes you. You go out and you, you want to close it out, but that other team just brings a different element at, in their home court with their crowd. You're in a hostile situation. Shots aren't going like they were at home. So that's what makes that's really what makes it so great because you just don't know, right? You, you can speculate and guess all you want, um, but you as, even as an athlete, you've been on both sides of it. So it makes for a, a great matchup. So if I got to put you to the spot here and say, okay, Thurl Bailey, give us a prediction in game six. What do you think happens? Who wins this game? You know, I'm going to say Boston. Yeah. I'm going to say Boston and a close one. Because that's, that's when you got to bring it, right? If you're Boston, mm-hmm. the cream has to rise to the top. You've got to have your, your guys that you rely on every single night. But somebody else, right, you look at that bench – or the Boston Celtics last night. And what are those guys saying to themselves? You know, a guy who played 21 minutes in white, you know, 1.0 for 4. You know you got to bring in Williams. You know, he, he, he didn't do a bad job as a starter. Talking about Robert Williams the third, he had 10 points, 8 boards. But those guys are going to bring a little bit extra. You know, they've got the sixth man in their, in their fans. I know how that feels. So, um they got to have a good start, though. There's no, there's no not starting well in this kind of a game. That uh, you know, because you you don't want to be playing uphill uh, against the Warriors. And I don't think either of us or most NBA fans would mind seeing a Celtics victory. And let's have seven games, right? <laughs> we wouldn't mind seeing this uh, electricity and going back to the Chase Center for a Game Seven, right? I, I agree. I agree. You know, the staunch Warrior fans, they want them to close it out, you know, right away. But, you know, if you're an NBA fan, you're like, 
yeah, this is the battle. Let's take it right to the brink <laughs> and see who can pull it out in the final in the seventh game. All right, we'll look forward to uh, Game 6 coming Thursday night. We'll have to wait till Sunday night for Game 7 if necessary, if the Celtics can defeat the Warriors on their home floor. And we know they're more than capable. We know that crowd is going to be revved up with one of the best and most passionate fan bases you know, out there. Uh, you know, Speaking of, of fan bases, I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was somebody... Um, it might have been, it was it was an it was national, and I want to say it was on NBA radio, and they were talking about how the Boston fan base is so great and it's so loud, and they used a comparison to say, well, you know, it's not like uh, it's like Utah or you know Sacramento or these sort of, and I laugh at that because you and I both know you you know being there in Utah, me being in Sacramento back in those days, that those were two of the best home courts. Oh, and they even used Portland as an example. Yeah, I don't think they used Sacramento. They used Portland as an example. But as we know, Thurl, those towns, just because they're small market uh, uh, you know, cities, they love their fan base. Even to this day, as bad as the Kings are, 16 straight losing seasons, they still love their Kings. The Jazz have the most rabid fan base out there. The Portland Trailblazers, we've seen that. It just cracks me up how people just think, well, you have to have a major city to have this great fan base. Yeah, I mean, that's no surprise, right? I mean, if, 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 you're, if you're a fan of you know, the Knicks or the Celtics, um, and there's a lot of history there. Obviously, uh, you're going to be you're going to be somewhat biased, which is which is natural. But you need to ask the opponents. That's how you get your answer. Mm-hmm. You ask the opponents where they hate going to play. And um, you know, I know you talk about that Sacramento crowd back in the day. My goodness, that was one of my most favorite places to play in, in Arco because it felt like I was in college again. And it, it just it just gave me that feeling. So I, I had great games there. But, um, yeah, you ask players, and they'll tell you, players who are opponents and have to go in an arena every night uh, against the crowd, uh, Utah's, Utah's fans usually come up. For better or for worse, that usually comes up that they're one of the toughest places, one of the toughest fans to play in front of you know, it's so rare nowadays that you see um, a franchise like Utah or Sacramento, we'll throw Portland in there as well too, that players, you know, want to stay there. I mean, you had opportunities to go other places, right? But you decided to stay with that franchise. Was it just because, I mean, you had guys like Carl Malone and John Stockton who were there for a long time too, or and about you wanted to buy into keeping the core together, or is it because you really enjoyed playing in that venue in front of those fans and living there? I mean, what weighed into your decision? Well, I think it was all of the above. Uh, for me, a, part, a lot of that was development, right? I wanted to develop into a really good NBA player. Uh, I knew I wasn't a great NBA player coming in, coming out of NC State, but I knew I wanted to be. Um, and I would have gone anywhere that drafted me, but the Jazz happened to. And, and during the course of the next year or two, the Miller family took over the organization. Uh, Frank Layden stepped down. Jerry Sloan took over as coach. And his philosophy was perfect for me. You know, I just loved the way he coached. He was he was a tough-nosed coach that focused on defense, um, but pick and roll to death. And, you know, I was one of the first 
six eleven small forwards in the league, and we had a big big club with Mark Eaton, uh, of course Carmelone at the four. But development was the, the number one thing. And then being in this kind of a market, you, you just get really close and knit with the community, and it's a great community out here in Salt Lake City. Uh, what kept me here? Well, you know, when you marry a girl, a local girl, that, that's your answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just been, you know, it's, it's home for me now. It's just, it, it, it just culminated into um, one, a great career with a philosophy that I enjoyed, you know, playing with and two guys and Carl and John that enjoyed playing for. But not a lot of people wanted to come here. Some of it was probably cultural, but to me, the people are as good as you get anywhere may not be as diverse, but it's a great place because the jazz really were the only thing in town at the time Only professional team still. Um, But uh, that's what kept me here. That and my wife. There it is. All right. Uh, Thurl Bailey joins us. Great career with Utah jazz as well as other places too. But uh, final thing for you, speaking of Utah, uh, Quinn Snyder, not with the team anymore, will uh, not return as coach. Uh, what can you tell us about that situation and uh, you know, moving forward with the Jazz for a head coach? Well, the search is on. Uh, listen, Ryan Smith and Danny Ainge are going to be busy. Um, you know, I, I won't even speculate who I think or who, who I I know they're looking at a lot of guys. Terry Stott's name's there, Alex Jensen, um, a few other names. But, uh, listen, uh, Coach Quinn Snyder, he was an amazing coach here. And I put him up there in the top. I put him up there near that Jerry Sloan caliber where you have a coach that come in with a philosophy. You've got to sell it to you guys. And you get close, right? You, 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 you advance, but you don't advance enough in enough time. And according to, to Quinn, you know, he just felt like uh, – it was time for him to move forward. There wasn't much more he could he could do and offer. He felt like the Jazz needed a new voice, and and that's okay, right? I mean, he's going to go on and do great things, and that's the business of basketball. Mm-hmm. But the more important, the just as important, is the core of your team: the Donovan Mitchells, the Rudy Gobert. Um, what's going to go on with Mike Conley? How are you going to keep this team? intact for the most part and build around that core and not start all over again. And that's the task. I think Danny Ainge, who is, he's such an, you know, he's, he's close to an expert in this. He's been at all levels had, you know, as a player, as a coach, as a GM. And so he's bringing that knowledge here and I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to happen this summer because uh, you better believe it's, Quinn Snyder was really the beginning of it, and I think uh, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered here on the player side. There you go. All right, are you going to be making your way to Vegas uh, potentially for the Summer League or anytime soon? Well, we're going to call the Summer League here prior to that, right. the 5th, 6th, 7th. Uh, I'm going to try. I know our Retired Players Association will, will be down there, so I may be down there, man. Yeah, because, you know, you, you sent me a picture <laughs> yeah. of a great – place to eat and i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna hold you to it man it looked good to me of course it is that's one of my go-tos man we're ta- i'm taking over <laughs> the right. cosmopolitan brother we're, we're locked right. we're locked in don't you dare worry about that so locked you, and loaded, man. you let me know all right Thor, appreciate okay. you man we'll let you get back on that harley man enjoy uh, the rest of the afternoon here and enjoy the rest of the finals and uh and we'll tap back into you real soon 
I will. Always good to speak with you. Thanks, brother. Take care. There he is, Thurl Bailey, uh, one of my favorites, no question. Great player. And again, just iconic with that NC State team that everybody could relate to, that underdog status. And, uh, of course, great uh, NBA career as well, too. And a fantastic job that he does on the television side with the Utah Jazz Television Network. All right, we come back. We'll talk some baseball. Don Logan's going to join us. A couple more terrible Tuesday takes. And more importantly, breaking news we have with the Vegas Golden Knights. Hang tight. Logic and insanity mixed into a perfect prescription from the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right. We're talking a lot of NBA Finals, obviously. Very exciting Game 5 last night. I appreciate Thurl Bailey joining us, uh, talking about the NBA Finals. Of course, Thurl, great career, obviously, like we've talked about with the Utah Jazz and, of course, NC State. But, yeah, it uh, wouldn't surprise any of us if the Boston Celtics come up big tomorrow night as well and extend this thing to a seventh uh, game. But right now, let's turn our attention to uh, some baseball. And uh, it's always good to have our good friend Don Logan, the president of the Las Vegas Aviators, join us. Of course, people know Don's synonymous with uh, baseball here in Las Vegas and, uh, of course, the new ballpark over at Summerlight. I still want to say the new ballpark because it still feels like it's new and feels like it's new. What's going on, Don? How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, man. I am good. So, um, you know, it's kind of our terrible Tuesday segment here, Don, and I, and I held one story back because I, I just... I'm having still some problems, you know, getting grips with it here. And that is the story, which I, I know that you're familiar with that, you know, we're m- moving the bases back or second base back here with, uh, you know, the, the aviators and in, in, in minor league baseball. And just to kind of uh, catch our, our, our listeners up with, uh, you know, what is happening here that uh, I guess, I don't know if it's just the Pacific coast league, if, if it's minor league baseball, but Yes, they have decided to um, actually make the bases larger, and we knew this was actually going to, uh, you know, come at some point in time. And now, uh, I guess last Thursday was the first time that it, uh, this actually went into play. Right, Don, about uh, expanding the base and moving it closer. So now we're not having bases ninety feet apart; we have bases eighty-seven feet apart. So the traditionalist in me is is having so many problems here with this. Explain to us, Don, what's going on? What's happening? I'm losing my mind. <laughs> you know, TC, I'm not even sure myself, to be honest with you. I, I think this it was more of a it, it, some. It was like an, an engineering type thing, but the the distance from home to second base was uh, it's it's still 90 feet from peg to peg. But now with the bigger bases, uh, you know, it 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 changed something. It, it you know, I don't think it was eighty-seven feet. I think it, it it was overall. It was like eight inches or seven inches or something like that. But uh, basically, if in a perfect world, the the uh, the distance needed to be, it needed to come in. A, a certain amount. I don't even know. I I've heard so many different numbers. I, I'm not even sure. I, they they sent so many uh, notifications out and emails to us. I, I kept I started just sending them to our baseball ops and our ground crew guys and said just 
do whatever they tell us to do and comply with what's what's asked and we did so mm-hmm. that's what we've done you know they send it they send us the bigger bases and you really don't know you i don't think you notice that that much i think the uh the, you know that they're, they're just they're tweaking they're they're trying you know we're like the guinea pig for some of the uh, conceptual changes that they want to maybe make to the game uh, obviously the abs is a part of that uh the pitch clock, uh, right. anything that they would like to try to implement at the big league level, they're trying out here first. So that's just the way it is in today's game. So let me ask you, and again, you're a longtime baseball guy, and I know you're like me, you're a traditionalist, you like all this stuff. But as as a president for you know one of these AAA franchises, you know, again, for you know Las Vegas has been, even though it had different affiliations, I mean, I mean, big time AAA franchise. No matter what we're calling the team here, and what and what team you're affiliated with. But do you get consulted with this, Don? How does this work? I mean, going back to the pitch clock, like you mentioned, and now, you know, the base is being moved and kind of, you know, this trial zone or like you said, you know, the the guinea pig. How does Major League Baseball handle this? Do they say, okay, this is what you're doing or do they pitch it to all the presidents and general managers? Do you have a say in this? Just kind of give everyone an idea, the procedural type of thing that goes on here. No, I mean, what I think where it all starts is that it, where where it began was there just, there was just a desire to try to implement technology to put you know what what we did as an industry uh, back in the seventies uh, well it started really in the eighties and then the nineties when uh, you know baseball was the the top drawing sport we're still the top drawing sport obviously we got eighty games and the NFL has you know. 17 uh, and the NBA has 82 and the NHL has 82. So more people go watch baseball live than any other sport. Uh, but the, 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 the whole, um, honestly, I really think when the, the NFL started implementing, you know, they, they started doing things, the, the replays and, you know, the, the, the clock, the, you know, the, 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 the amount of the amount of time between plays trying to, Everybody was trying to speed up the game and make it, it. They they tried to put it in a box and make it fit into the television component because TV is where all the money is at the big league level. That's where the the revenue comes from it, in in bucket loads. And so, you know, baseball in an effort to try to follow suit. I think that's kind of. I think that that's the genesis of it. Uh, the, the 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 challenge I, I think that everybody has. Like you mentioned it before, traditionalists is that. There are certain things with the game that really didn't need to be messed with. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I think there was something really special about baseball not having a clock. You know, you can go out there and, you know, if back in the day, if if Greg Maddox is pitching against uh, Kurt Schilling, you know, you're going to have a two-hour and 20-minute or less game, and there's probably going to be less than five runs scored in the game. And defense is at a premium, you know. That it, it 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 things have just you know the 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 that was what everybody thought was the best. And then we went through the you know the uh, the juiced era, we'll call it. But you know, home runs, the uh, the Sammy Sosa, Jose Canseco time period. You know, uh, hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, you know what was. More, create more excitement. Uh, you know, it was obviously 
supposedly artificially induced by for for whatever reason. Maybe it was the ball, maybe it was the players taking performance enhancing stuff, whatever. But at the end of the day, the the, the essence of the game is it, it's the longest. Uh, it, you know, it's the traditional American game and. Yeah, it, 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 there was just a, a desire to try to speed it up. I think that's where it really all started was to games were taking, you saw postseason games, and now that was with longer breaks between innings, but they're taking like three and a half, four hours. And it was just, it was messing with the TV, with the network's programming. And honestly, it, it, I think that's where it all started is the networks were like, you know, we, we'd like some predictability. And, and that's what everything is in this whole the analytic era of baseball is that you've got uh, everybody. Everybody's looking for predictability. You know, there, there's spray charts about where a guy hits, and that's where the shifts come from. Uh, how they pitch him. Uh, the goal now of the pitcher is just to throw hard because uh, predictability is is that you know you, they may give up a home run here or there, but it's it's more predictable for them to get outs if they throw 95 plus as opposed to throwing breaking balls and change-ups and then things like that. It, it It's a it's just an evolution, and it's there's new people making decisions at the highest level of our game, and they want predictability. I mean, that's what the goal is. And, and at the end of it, uh, it it's kind of like breeding horses. You know, they how long, remember the, the gap we had between a triple crown winner at one right. point? You know, it, they're horses. And at the end of the day, these are – these are our horses. They're people. You know, there, there's going to be guys are going to have a bad day. You know, he's going to sleep wrong and have a stiff neck, or you know, his whole all his buddies from high school and college are going to show up and he's going to stay out too late and feel bad, and not not have his best stuff. Uh, it, you know, the, people are playing the games. It's not robots, and it's it, it's tough. It's it's hard sometimes to explain to people. <laughs> and you mentioned robots, and then uh, we haven't even talked about you know the umpires trying to re- replace umpires and do the do the robots with with strike calls. We've seen that at independent leagues and some other you know minor leagues uh, uh, that situation as well too. But speeding up the game, I get. I, I get that, okay, even though I'm, I'm fine with it, but there's ways to speed up the game where they're not even really addressing Don. It's like, okay, let's qu- let's g- keep the guy in the batter's box. Or, like, I know they're limiting the mound visits by, by the catcher and the manager, the pitching coach. Okay, but if you really want to speed up the game, keep the guy in the box, not every pitch, let him unstrap his, his batting gloves and do that. Velcro. Oh, yeah, Velcro. Velcro there. slowed the game down. Velcro <laughs> slowed it down. Perfect, my friend. That's great. Or how about this no one talks about? How about limiting – the the pickoff uh, tosses to first base. Now, how interesting would that be if you you know say okay, you can only throw over there maybe twice or third time per runner. Then you're going to know, and if you want more excitement, well, then you know that guy's going to be maybe a higher likelihood to steal maybe on the on the third time or whatever. But you know the pitch clock, like you said, no place for a clock in baseball and all these other things, you know, it just seems like they're going about it the wrong way. And then we're getting back to the, the conversation we open with here, 135 years, 135 years, they decide we're going to move second base or we're going to enlarge it or whatever. 13 and a half inches closer to the pitcher's mound, 135 yeah. years. Here's what I don't get, Don, to and the reasoning that we're hearing from major league baseball is well, to make for more exciting plays on the bases. 
What are we talking about? I mean, how many bang bang plays do we have? We've got stolen bases. We got plenty of close plays. We have to go to replays because we have so many close plays on the base pass, right? So what are we talking about here? This is what I don't get. Well, you know, the the thing that cracks me up is that when they then go to replays. I was watching uh, last night the the Giants and the Royals, and uh, who hit it? Mike Yastrzemski hit a ball down right. the line, and it it hit the outside of the foul pole, and but it bounced back into play. Uh, it was called foul initially uh, by the first base umpire, and then he got overruled by the home plate. It was a shit show. They they, they didn't know Yastrzemski ended up at third base. They moved him back to second base. It took five minutes for them to figure out what was going on. So everything that they gained that you might gain is lost when you go to a replay because it takes so long for them to make a decision. And it, it, it's, you know, it, I get we're, we're, you know, technology is a part of life now. I mean, you know, I was watching something on TV the other day. These kids are trying to, they asked them who the, uh, the president was on a hundred dollar bill. Well, it's Ben Franklin. He never was a president. And four four college kids had no freaking clue. They know that they're Benjamins. Right. They didn't know he wasn't the president, but because they can't Google it. Right. So I mean, it's it's the world we live in, and and it's 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 unfortunate that that things get you know it's the pendulum swings too far, and it's always been that way. What whatever you talk about, and I think we've we've swung it a little too far. The the other way. At that said, I think there's enough uh, common sense and traditionalists. And I mean, if you look at you know what it really takes to to be a good player to be a good team, it's still it, it all gets back to good, sound, fundamental approach to the game. Uh, you know that today's game is more about you know the hitters are striking outs, not not that bad. It's uh, you know, it, they bet they they lean back and try to launch, and if they strike out, no big deal. Uh, pitchers, you know, they they throw fastballs because you, it's easier to throw a fastball over the plate, and if they get hit, so be it. Uh, it it's a little bit different, but I, you know, you, the good teams, you know, they start to to mess with it. They bunt when the the shift is going on. Uh, you know, I, I saw Cody Bellinger the other day. I mean, you know, former MVP guy that's got huge power. You know, they're playing, he's a dead pull hitter, and he saw that, and, you know, he butted one down to third base. Yep. You know, it was a piece of cake to get a base hit, and those kind of things. There's a way to beat it, and in time, you know, I, I really believe it, it will come back to that. I think it, our game, there's a place for, you know, defense in our game is huge. The defense today is bad. You know, defense isn't as good as it was, particularly outfield defense. And they don't know where to throw. They don't hit the cutoff man. Uh, balls are dropping in the gap and in the warning track that never used to drop. Uh, you know, there's going to become an emphasis from organizations to kind of turn it back to the way it was. And again, that it's, it's all part of the experiment. And the good news is, is we're talking about baseball. We're talking about what they're doing. It, it you know, it, it 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 does. You know, it 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 gets uh, you know people down at PT's pub, you know, saying what the heck's going on out there. You know, they want to talk about it. And then that's not bad. You know, the, any, anything that gets things going about that gets people talking about it is good, but we've got to get some, you know, there's got to be some, uh, you know, hard and fast uh, plan that says, okay, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. I think that's what 
the frustration that you seem to voice is kind of what I hear from a lot of people is why. And and that's what baseball, at the, you know, the, from the commissioner's office down, they got to say, why? Why are we doing this? You know, and, and if you don't have a good answer for why, you probably shouldn't be doing it. He is Don Logan, the president of our Las Vegas Aviators here in town. Final thing here for you, Don. I know it's probably a, a longer discussion or conversation, but obviously I'm sure that you get asked this, and I get it asked all the time, not even sure how to answer it. So I'm going to ask you, with the talk of the A's come, uh, potentially coming here to Las Vegas, they've had numerous talks. I don't know if you've been involved in those talks or not, but since you guys are the AAA affiliate, uh, what do you think is is the likelihood for this to happen? And more importantly, what would that mean for the Aviators since you, know, you guys are the AAA club for a team that they're talking about relocating to the same city? Well, I, I'll that I'll answer the end of that first. I think what happens if the A's ultimately decide to come here? Uh, what happens at AAA to the Aviators? You know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, there's no point in uh, in even discussing it until there, there's something to discuss. So you know, when when and if that happens, we'll we'll cover that. Uh, that said, I you know I think that. This, this is such a unique market, uh, the success that the Knights had and that the Raiders are having. You know, that's kind of set the table. And now, you, you, you know, you see LeBron wants a team here. Now Mayweather wants it to bring an NBA team here. Uh, you've got the MLS talk going on. Mark Bedane and his group are working on that. you got the WNBA. You know, it, the, you know Major League Sports is really – Kind of glommed on to Vegas because they, it, it's non, it, it, it's it's not the typical uh, type of market. You know, we, we've got 45 million people visiting this the the, the destination every year, so it, it just it's a different place. And you know, you went to Raider games. I mean, it was half and half. I was at the Bears Eagles games last year. I, I'd say the Bears game was probably 60 40 Bears fans to Raiders Bears! fans. You know, and that's <laughs> and. Uh, it's just you know that's but that's that's okay that's good that's why we built Allegiant Stadium that's why we used tax revenue room tax revenue to, to pay for that thing because that's what you want and I think as long as everybody understands that that's the goal is to bring it's just more reasons for more people to come to Vegas and experience the the finest resorts in the in the world you know, we got the best hotels we got the best dining we got the best shopping. Uh, you know, everything here is is top of the line, and adding major league sports to it is is, is something that it's just kind of icing on the cake from from a, a destination perspective. And those of us that are lucky enough to live here, we get the benefits of that. So, you know, I I, I think there's a, a, a very good chance that uh, major league baseball shows up here, uh, uh, whether it's the A's or somebody else. Again, our market's different. You know, it's not about having the four or five million people living in the metro area. You know, we don't need that many people to make it work here because you got uh, the fans of the visiting team are, are a big part of it. And there, there's a reason for them to come here more so than go anywhere else. And, and they're doing it. You know, it's working in the NHL. And I know the Knights didn't like that at first. I think they've, they've come around to that. Certainly the Raiders get it. Uh, you know, like I said, it's a, it, it, it's a good thing and it's, it's good for our market. That's, that's what, uh, 
you know, that's why we don't have state tax. So <laughs> it's it, it's not a bad thing. So I think I, I think it's a very likely possibility. Uh, you know, we'll see how it plays itself out. I, again, they, they, the timing's a little bit bad with this being an election year. I don't know that a whole lot's going to get decided before November now, but. Uh, you know, something's going to get figured out, and we'll, it'll uh, it'll be good for the market. There you go. Cross that bridge when it, when we get to it. Don, I appreciate the time as always, my friend. Uh, continue the success with the aviators, and uh, we always tell people get out to the ballpark. Such a fun experience out there as well. It's, so. It really is special. So uh, come yeah. on out and TCI. I really appreciate you all the time. Th- thanks, Don. Appreciate it. Take care, brother. Take care, bud. All right, Bye-bye. there he is, Don Logan. Uh, great friend. Does a fantastic job. All right, and even to go out to those aviator games, you might not recognize the field because of the bigger bases and everything now. There you go. Nubchuck getting a little ahead of himself. As we close the show today, the Vegas Golden Knights have themselves a new head coach. It is Bruce Cassidy. When his name was thrown out there, it was a legitimate possibility, and the Golden Knights got themselves their man. Cassidy, eight years as a coach in the NHL, uh, two seasons with the Washington Capitals, the last six with the uh, Boston Bruins, and of course, uh, you know, just a couple seasons ago, he was the coach of the year, winning the Jack Adams Award, too. So Bruce Cassidy is your new head coach for the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll have more on this tomorrow, get plenty of feedback. But again, the Golden Knights, uh, going. they said they were taking their time, letting things kind of play out, and there's a lot of quality available head coaches that are out there. And when Cassidy became available for, and I don't know if we'll ever know the reason uh, why him, uh, the Boston Bruins parted ways with Bruce Cassidy, but he is the Golden Knights, new man. So we look forward to talking to Bruce Cassidy here very, very soon as well, too. I want to thank Don Logan for joining us, the president of the Avi- Aviators. As well as Thurl Bailey, does a fantastic job on the Utah Jazz television side, and of course the former player himself. Yes, and of course Tony the Tiger Lopez in the house. Appreciate the Tiger, the former three-time world champ, stopping by for Numchuck. TC saying so long. Go to the website, check out our recap of Game Five from the Warriors' victory last night. A look ahead to Game Six coming up on Thursday. The interviews, it's all on the website at tcmartinshow.com. Have yourself a good one. We reconvene tomorrow right here at 2 p.m.